It's another episode of Dickie's Workwear right here at the Foul Life. Dickie's Workwear podcast series. Where are you working, America? Dickie's Workwear makes workwear. W-E-A-R. Unbelievable pants and shirts and flannels and jackets, overalls and coveralls and bibs. They do it. They make it for the everyday worker. Nurses, scrubs, dental, doesn't matter what industry you're in, Dickies, you're going to be able to find what you need to be a worker, a provider, putting that food on the table for your friends and family. This is the Dickies Workwear Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how much work has gone in to Joel Kleefish's beginning of his Wisconsin 2022-23 season. He works his butt off every day. He's a lobbyist. He's working with his clients every single day and he's hunting every morning before he goes into the office this man is a workaholic he's fired up about it and that's exactly what dickies promotes is to be excited about work to be excited about being a provider and that's why we've having joel cleefish right back here on the foul life podcast coming at you live from new york basswoods lodge today's episode of the foul life podcast is also brought to you by ProComp. You got to check out their wheels. You got to check them out. You got to check out their suspensions, their lift kits, their balancing kits. ProComp has unbelievable products. They're available at fourwheelparts.com. We absolutely love our association with the brand. I, I'm, I'm telling you, this ride that we have right now on this Ford truck is amazing. And it's a lot to do with the suspension. And ProComp, if you do your research and you look into their innovation and what they're doing in their design of every single part that goes on from their shocks to their wheels to their suspensions, like I said before, there's a reason why so many drivers from the Baja 500 to everyday Americans on the road, dirt roads, highways, byways, they're depending on ProComp. Check them out at ProComp.com. And check them out on every social media platform. You're going to be amazed at the product line they have. And I've been I've been savvy to get a little bit of information on what's coming for 2023. We're going to have them on all of our brand new rigs, which brings us to our next presenting sponsor right here at the Foul Life Podcast, Corning Ford. Paul Francis, thank you guys so much. The number one Ford Super Duty dealership in the West United States right there in little tiny bit of Corning California, the farmers, the construction industry, the ranchers, the hunters, the fishers, every walk of life depends on Corning Ford. It's because of their customer service, their service department, but most of all, their selection. Paul and his team have done an amazing job of securing so many trucks for people, not just in California, but from around the country. We are so proud to have Corning Ford as the official Ford truck of the Foul Life TV. Right now, you can see exclusive episodes on the Outdoor Channel, as well as the official truck ford truck of the foul life podcast thank you corning ford and last but not least today's episode of the foul life podcast is brought to you by the one and only benelli simply perfect everybody up here shooting benelli at basswood lodge and they're performing day in and day out we're shooting mainly the super black eagle 312 gauge but the new super black eagle 320s the sbe 328s the new ethos models the 828s the m2s i'm telling y'all it's everybody's goal to get a Benelli in the duck blind, the goose blind. Simply perfect. Thank you, Benelli, Benelli USA, for all of your innovation and your s- support of the American hunter, the outdoorsman, the conservationist, and the provider. It's another episode of the Foul Life Podcast, Dickie's Workwear. We got my main man again, Joel Cleefish. He's been up here with us for about seven days in New York. We're coming at you live from Goose Camp right here at Basswood Lodge. Dickie's Workwear presents the Foul Life Podcast. I hope you all enjoy it. And we're back. We're back. 
we're back again with another episode. I was going to do a freestyle rap right there because I was really doing a lot of freestyle rapping with Fred Zink the other night. We stopped in Ohio to Port Clinton, Ohio, and we stayed the night with my good buddy, mentor Fred Zink. You might know who he is. Zink Calls, Avian X, Decoys. We had steak. We had walleye. What do they call them? Jack. What do they call Oh, we had the cheeks for sure, but what were the other ones they called? Wings. Walleye wings. It was like right by. Gosh dang it. I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, but man, they were freaking good. They're... What is a walleye wing? I don't know. We got to look at Jack. Will you Google that and see if that's part of, or if that's just Fred Zink making it up? Um, walleye wings. It's a thing for sure. Yeah, it's 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 right along the fins, and the, the fins are still attached to it, part of some of the fins, and you just eat around the fin with this really, really good meat. And Freddie takes the time and takes them all. You know, he lives on Lake Erie, and so the walleye was unreal. Then we had awesome steaks. We had ribeyes, walleye, and dove. He had just got done smashing some dove with his son, Gunner, and it was a great visit and just a great meal. And we also had some foul life Jack Daniel single barrel. Did we not, Jack? Oh, yeah, we did. Freddie liked it. Gunner liked it. I liked it. It was good. Just a couple fingers on ice with that steak. Mm, mm, mm. Anna V picked a good barrel. I let Anna V pick that barrel in Lynchburg this year. We went down there, and I usually pick the barrel. Well, we get down there, and she's all excited. And, we're, and I said, why don't you pick this one? So we went through the whole tasting. I got Joel Clayfish back on the podcast today. The foul life podcast. Another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. We're fired up. It's the greatest time of the year right now. Going into the fall. Summer's over. It's officially over, right? Summer officially over yet? I don't even know. The, it's got to be, right? Yeah, I, th- I don't I don't know when the vernal equinox, what day it is exactly, but it's past Labor Day. Does it's past count? Labor Day. I think it's summer's over. And we're up in upstate New York still with Basswood Lodge, just enjoying the heck out of Canada goose hunts. Another one today. We got bad news that there's thunderstorms tomorrow and big rains, so we probably can't film. We might still go out and hunt, maybe try to get some social clips with our iPhones. The new iPhone's getting ready to come out, right? Every September. This is my first iPhone. I got this. I know. I made For you. you. You made Because everything get was this. green with you. And people that have green are weird. I, oh. If you don't have an iPhone, that is like, you're you still know, living in the basement. Okay, but iPhone, they what they've done is turned it into like high school clicks. Like you're not cool if your bubble, if your text bubble is green. You're not cool. I'm not saying you're not cool. You're just not bubble. normal. You could probably be somewhat cool and have a cool story or an experience that you did. But if you're not up with the Joneses with the iPhone and you're yeah. still sending green text on an Android, not up in here. Oh man. Not the, up in here. You, you ever notice on an iPhone, not you got to back out of everything before you go forward. I'm still not sold. Jack, on it. I've had it for like four months. now. You know, anybody that's got one of them phones that sends the green message. And I know that you can send a green message on an iPhone. Julian, Julian. still uses it. Julian, get your shit together and get an iPhone. <laughs> if you're listening to this. <laughs> he just he just made deer liver pate. That was him. Yeah. Off the recipe of the goose yeah. liver. And he made it with his Android phone. 
No, he didn't. He watched the video on his Android phone. Guaranteed that he is eating the deer liver pate that somebody else with an iPhone made. Because there's no way you can be a good cook and not have an iPhone. This episode, again, is brought to you by our friends at Bush Light. I'm drinking a Bush Light, a cold one. It's something about Goose Camp when you're on a dirt road and staying in a camp like this that having a cold Bush Light after the hunt during a podcast and you drink the Bush NA, the non-alcoholic, this is delicious. I like this beer. Thank you for supporting the American hunter, fisher, conservationist, gatherer, provider, Bush Light, Bush Latte. Look at it in all of the stores that serve beer. It's all over. You go to North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma. Everybody drinks Bush and Bush Light. And then it's making its way out west big time. Florida, all over Northern Florida. This is a good beer. And they support what we do. They support our culture. Thank you, Anheuser-Busch. Thank you, Bush Light, for being a partner and a sponsor of the Foul Life Podcast. It's tasty. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by our friends and family at Flask Cap. The Matic 6, the Matic 9, the tumblers, the engraving, the personalization that you can get. You can get your Foul Life edition right now. We're getting ready to release a couple new colors and engraving um, some new ducks and dogs on the Foul Life edition that'll be ready, available in the next couple weeks at flaskcap.com. But just an awesome, awesome tool. Spirit in the top, the fun button, ice in your mixer in the bottom, beaches, boats. A lot of beaches in California don't allow glass, even beers on in cans anymore. So you could go right in there with this. Bam, fun button, little squirt of Jack Daniels in your Coke. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking, but it's the flask cap. And today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by the one and only Simply Perfect Benelli. We shot them today. Today we were using the Super Black Eagle 3s. They're so light. You were using, they're about seven and a half ounces Man. lighter than the two. You were using one in the best, that the Benelli treatment, and it's awesome. Rust prevention and just the way that that gun is treated. They're onto something there. I was using a Rob Roberts edition with the Cerakote and the engraving and the T2 choke tube and a high-vis sight. I was shooting three-inch BB Federal Black Cloud, and it was absolutely lights out. I mean, just look at the video. Run the tape. Run the tape. That's what Mariah Carey used to say when Eminem would pick on her. Run the tape. Run the tape. We're fired up. Basswood Lodge, thank you for having us up here. And we're talking Wisconsin goose hunting today because Joel and his crew have been after them hard. You made a comment that the flocks here are huge compared to what y'all decoy in Wisconsin. Ten's a good-sized flock there. You guys never really get into, like, big flocks of big geese? You know, I don't know if it's if it's that they've seen spreads by the time they get to us or if it's the fact that they're just kind of broken up into smaller family groups because – we're, I mean, we see bigger flocks and we have a lot of bigger migrating flocks, but they tend not to be the ones that, that want to come and give it up in the decoys, right? Right in the decoys. I'd say we have our best luck with the flocks from five to eight. Um, and we have, we've had a lot of really good decoying success, but a lot of those birds are local birds and the Wisconsin goose hunting season. I mean, you know how it is. You just go, you go out of your mind counting down the days of summer and people always get mad at me. Cause I say, I kind of wish away summer. I wish away summer because you can't hunt until September 1st for waterfowl in Wisconsin. And it's the first season. It's the first hunting season. Is it too hot in September 1st to be hunting geese? I don't care. When I was in Texas hunting doves, I was like, God, it's hot. It's It's fun. 
it's but geese sweat more they're bigger it's they're hot. tougher yeah we're it we're big boy like it? me i'm sweating my i can't give it up isn't there some isn't i'm out four or five days a week isn't there some geese. states that have august 15th or like an earlier goose season yes i think is uh, it north dakota North Dakota, I think. Yeah, North Dakota has August 15th. And I have gone out there for that early, That's early like season. That's like 120 before. degrees out. Oh, my gosh. It's so hot. Sweating, hunting in uh, shorts and, and a T-shirt, getting all scraped up from the wheat chaff, the straw on your legs. It's, come on, you know what it's like. though. You can't even, you can't sleep the three days before the season starts. I can't even sleep. I know, but I don't. I traveled for teal this year and I've traveled for the South Dakota early Canada goose season. And this is pretty early up here, but we're way up North and it's pretty nice weather right now. I mean, you're in a high of 78 and a low of 55. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty reasonable. It was, it was comfortable today. It was comfortable. It was really humid today, but it was comfortable temperature wise. The, the rain coming time, in, which was the cloud really cover. Nice. Held. They decoyed awesome nice. again today. They really did. They did not see us. So Wisconsin as a whole though, it's been a good start. Oh man, phenomenal. I don't even, you know, we've got a great local population now. And I think one of the reasons that is, is frankly because of of the industrial growth and people are keeping ponds open all year long now. So a lot of those geese that probably moved through in years past, they're staying in, you know, new subdivisions, drainage ditches that have got open water. Uh, We've got so many lakes and ponds in Wisconsin and waterways and streams and tributaries from the Mississippi tributaries from Lake Michigan, Lake Winnebago. Those geese are finding open water here uh, much more than they did in the past. And so they're, they're wintering here. So we have a real nice, healthy population of local geese and we've got an early season limit of five per person per day for the first 15 days of the season. We are, we are jacked for that at the beginning. And it's really interesting because everybody's competing for fields in on the first day. I mean, opening day is like everybody who's going to waterfowl hunt the whole year's out opening day. And then our second Saturday of September, uh, bow deer and turkey opens in Wisconsin. So what happens is that pressure that you get during the early season, during the very first part of the season in Wisconsin lightens up once deer hunting opens, you know, you lose some of the waterfowl guys to the deer hunt. And frankly, that's my favorite time to hunt because you see, you start seeing the molt migrators, Right. I mean, you're going to see a few of them right on the first day of September, but you're bouncing around local geese and they get smart to it really quick. So it becomes a game of creativity. You got to make sure your hide is absolutely perfect. You got to make sure your calling isn't uh, wrong or obnoxious and, and you're calling the right way. You're using flags. You're sitting in the if you're on a fence line, first of all, you know, a lot of times they're leery of fence lines, leery of tree lines. So we're trying to hide in the middle of the field, but we're hunting wheat, which is no cover. So that's tricky. I mean, it's a real psychological game. And, you know, as waterfall hunters, one of the keys to what we do is overthink everything, but it always, (laughs) always, but it's, we've had unbelievable success so far. The group of uh, men and women that I hunt with, uh, we are, have a real extensive scouting network. And if the guys can't scout in the morning, we scout at night and we are calling each other. And I never thought I'd be a 51 year old man on Snapchat, but <laughs> here I, I can't am. believe that either. I got a bitmoji and everything, which I think looks actually better than I do in real life. Really? My bitmoji. Bit well, that that's not a high bar. So, and what is the Snapchat for? 
we we have Snapchat groups that we constantly talk about goose hunting. I think sometimes my wife's eye, eyes get stuck in the back of her head from rolling them so much listening to us talk about goose hunting the next day, the hide, how we're going to, the wind direction, if we're going to have wind, is it going to rain? We're using full bodies, we're using silhouettes. <laughs> she just rolls her eyes. Well, let's talk about the actual goose hunting now. Um, what kind of roosts are they? Is it rivers? Is it ponds? Is it cattle ponds, farm ponds? What are a lot of these geese that in that part of, because in, when I was in Wisconsin, I don't recall seeing a lot of roosts, like visible water. Is it, is that safe to say, or is there a ton of like, when you, if you really drive around, can you find them on oh, water? Yes. Yeah. I mean that, that one of the reasons you didn't see a lot of them on water is because we have so much water. So they're, I mean, all of the above of what you said, they're roosting on farm ponds. They're roosting on tributaries, creeks, rivers, lakes, ponds, uh, drainage ditches. We have so much water in Wisconsin that they have so many options to roost, which also makes it more difficult to pinpoint where they're going because they're so spread out. That might have something to do also with the smaller family groups, the smaller groups of geese, because a lot of them are roosting at night. In, there's a greenhouse uh, near where I live that's got two small ponds that geese roost on. And, you know, the greenhouse owner's like, hey, you want to knock back this population of geese for us? We have a loaf hunt there every year, um, but they're roosting uh, on the ponds at the greenhouse. So when we're, you know, when we're targeting them, it's really a matter of finding them in the fields for us. But that's a sticky wicket, too, because they've got so many options. And by the time September rolls around, some of the farmers are starting to cut their corn for silage. And, you know we grow so much uh, cash crop in Wisconsin that there's always open fields and there's a lot of the farming industry that's got open fields. So the geese have a lot of choices. And so when you're scouting, when you guys scout, are you in an area to where you're automatically know that there's geese in the area because they've been imprinted in that area? Or do you have to drive around and, and find new roosts every year? Are you in a crop rotation to where you're talking to the farmers in the off season and you're figuring out what they're growing? What are the main crops in that area? I know you mentioned wheat, but what 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 are what are you? How are you scouting at this early in the season as the the locals start to move around and they start to get pressure on them, and then the the molt migrators start to move down from Canada. And then the big migrators start to come down from Canada that stayed up there during the molting period. Well, wheat's always the first thing off. So in Wisconsin, you're going to see most of your fields are going to be wheat, corn, soybeans, or alfalfa. Hey, that's, I would say 90%. This is a guess. It's not scientific, but 90% of the farm fields are going to be one of those four crops. And wheat always comes off first. And it came off real early this year. So we already had, you know, grass and cover crops growing on top of the wheat before we had the opening of the goose season. So for me, and I think this is the key, the number one rule I always tell people in hunting, the number one rule, keep the farmer happy. That's the number one rule. Pick up your stuff out of the field. If it's wet, don't drive in the field. Respect the farmer. But that is not something, I mean, if you're a farmer and we have such a, a dense population in Southeast Wisconsin that are goose hunters and waterfowl hunters, that an average farmer who's got a wheat crop on a major byway or highway, you know, or, or a major country road, he's have has no fewer than 25 to 30 people knocking on his door asking permission. 
I had one farmer, he said, 50 people have stopped and asked me for permission so far. And when do they ask permission all the time? Most people ask, you know, the week before, a few days before the season opens. I'm, I make wild goose pot pies, wild turkey pot pies. I'm delivering them to those farmers who let me hunt the year before. I start delivering those in July or even earlier. I'll make pot pies one day and I'll, I'll make one for my family and four for farmers. Get in your car, take something around, take a farmer, appreciate something you've put your, your actual heart into and thought into, and you deliver it. And the one farmer that I'm thinking of was right down the road from my house. We live on a farm in Concord, Wisconsin. He said, I had 50 people. I brought him a pot pie. He said, I had 50 people ask you're the, you're the only one I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you hunt. Cause you brought me a pot pie to prove to me that these things are edible. So we went through that whole discussion. I, he said, I, I don't know. I kind of like the geese. And when I explained to him, my wife had cancer at age 35. All we eat is what we kill, you know, outside of a few lunch meats and stuff like that. He saw it from a different light and he gave us permission. Now we didn't even ever end up uh, hunting his field yet this year, but when you d keep the relationship with the farmer the entire year, that is key to having places to hunt. And the best thing is that relationship with a farmer, that is more a gift to you than it is to the farmer. Because what you get to learn from some of these old timers who've been at this, you know, their whole life in the state of Wisconsin, supplying, you know, Wisconsin families with what they're putting on their tables, the vegetables and growing uh, for the crops and for the agriculture it's really an experience. I've had some of the most unbelievable, fantastic talks with some of the farmers. And a lot of them are former hunters or they've retired from hunting or they're still dabbling in hunting. And you're going to get into some conversations that are just fantastic and worthwhile doing it too. Yeah, it's great. Like, in the, you know, when you go to Canada, the farmers love conversation. They love camaraderie and visiting. And, you know, you, you're not going to get permission on when you're freestyling Canada without going in and having coffee or a highball at yeah. night in the evening when they get off their combine. They just want, they're talking, they're lonely up there. I mean, there's, they see people and they're like, Hey, new friends, you know, and it's, you got in the off season, so important to go to the County fairs, the County bake sales, the, the, the FFA and the, the, the future, you know, the, the 4-H and get involved in your community. And a lot of people want to know, like, how do you get to the point of developing a network in the goose hunting, duck hunting world? It's that. No question. It's, if you can't call it, no before, doubt. Because there's going to be somebody out there working harder than you, like you with the pot pies, which you shouldn't have said that and given away because that's, you're now going to have all these people trying to make, you know, turkey and wild goose pot pies, which I've had both of yours, wild turkey and wild goose pot pies. And they're awesome. Even though I had to show you how to make the homemade crust. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do you think on the, when you're, when you're out there scouting, you guys have, I don't know how to say this, but it seems to me like you're hunting out of ground blinds a lot. It seems to me like you have a quite a few guns in your hunt group. Okay. You got seven, eight, 10 guys. Um, what are you looking for? Because I, I heard you mention the other day that y'all set up on 40 birds. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. Big. If they're, you know, if they're big birds and they're coming in twos and threes, but if you get a group of 30, 
you know, and goose hunting is goose hunting. You might go out there thinking, hey, we're hunting 40 birds and see 600 birds. Yes. Right. Happened, happened the other day. It happened, happened today. the day before it, it I happened flew today, out to and I, It happened today in New York, too. You're going in there thinking, oh, we're going to see three, 400 birds. Well, that's not a ton. And that's pretty good. Root. That's pretty good feed. You know, I've seen 10,000 lessers in a field in Oklahoma. I've seen, you know, 5,000 big geese in, in fields. But you start talking about a big goose field. You want three, four, five, 600 birds. You're like, we set up on 40 birds. Yeah, we what, do that a lot. Why? Because it's the quintessential basis of why you become a hunter. That hope. That hope that if you're setting up on three families that are coming in, three family groups coming in, that you're going to see migrators and you're going to be able to talk them into coming up. Is there anything better in waterfowl hunting world than seeing a passing group of migrating birds and being able to sweet talk them into coming into your decoys when they start making that circles and getting real skinny and tight and they're just dropping from the heavens and you fooled mother nature that is the absolute key to the joy of hunting is fooling mother nature and there's no better way to do that and it's the hope that's why it's hunting that's why it's not going to a grocery store that's why you're putting yourself out there and and you know what part of the key to that is that you're not successful every time. If you were successful every time, you wouldn't get the thrill, the rush, and the excitement of it when you are successful. So if you go and you take that chance and you've got a feed that's a small feed, and let's say those, let's say what you saw feeding there the night before dipped out overnight. You had a full moon and uh, uh, cooler temperatures blow through and all of a sudden they're gone. You are still out there with the hope that something else is going to fly over the top of you, uh, eat up what you're showing them, and end up on the dinner table and that is that is what makes hunting so enjoyable is that hope that makes that's what's great about everything in life the first time you do it first time you get on a roller coaster it's that hope and excitement and anticipation of not quite knowing (laughs) of not quite knowing before you go through that experience like when you go to the reno rodeo or the local carnival and you're like i just hope i don't die on the zipper tonight I mean, you've seen the people putting those together, right? I, I have. Why do we go I love on the them? zipper? Why do we go on them? But I love what you're saying. It's the quintessential of why you get into it. The hope you set up, and you're like, "Well, I hope they come back. I hope that that somebody's not in between our our ex and the roost, and they're going to run traffic and beat us." You know, there's there's always these thoughts that go through your head, and that's what makes the hunt. And then you're like, well, "Okay, we just saw our 200 geese, or we just saw our 40 geese," and you're sitting there, and you're like, "No, we're going to give it another 40 minutes." And then all of a sudden, a, a flock of seven, you hear, burn up, burn up. and then you're just like, and then you work them. And today, you know, we thought we were done, right? We thought yeah. we were done, and then all of a sudden, they started coming from the exact opposite direction, and they were other geese coming off another roost. They weren't geese that that had already gone past us or got shot at coming back because then we started working them again. There were new geese that hadn't been in the area, so you know, there's that the quintessential hope. That's a that's a really cool concept of hunting and like what you say anything in life, but it's what gets us into and it's what keeps us going because I've been there, done that so many times. I was talking to Freddie Zink about this, like what keeps us going, and it's that hope. It's hope. like that you're going to see something you never saw before. You're going to share it with somebody that you hope gets into it. You hope your kids have a great time. You know, all of that. It's like all of that hope that goes into it. So you guys are setting up on 40 geese. It's a lot of work to set up the way you guys hunt. You're taking the natural vegetation, the wheat, you're ground blinding up. You're out there early. You're setting up the new greenhead gear silhouettes, which you like them, right? Oh man, they're awesome. We used them the other day and sucked them right in. They were, boy, I mean, look, 
I like full bodies. I like them a lot, especially, you know, the green head gear full bodies because they got that motion to them that a lot of other decoys don't have. And that's fantastic. You got a little bit of wind. They're bouncing around. They look very realistic. But to, if you got a field, you got to march into. Now, I'm not the most physically fit man in the world, which you continually point out to I, me. But. That's a lie. <laughs> that is a lie. But if you can, the, the beauty of these things is if you got to march a thousand yards into a field, um, you can take those silhouettes with you and they look dynamite. And the other day, what we did, so we we had a, an alfalfa field we're hunting and we really didn't have an edge that we thought they would come anywhere near. Okay, we had tall trees on all the edges. So we went to the middle of the field. We literally covered ourselves in silhouette decoys, covered the, the layup lines in silhouette decoys. So, I mean, we had them at our feet, at our heads, on all sides of us. I think I, I sent you a little video showing what that looked like from, from out in the decoys. And those birds committed to those silhouettes with no problem, ended up right at the boot bags. So when when you start talking about that hide, though, silhouettes mixed in with some with some green head gear full body like what we hunted over today that those commercial grade xds yeah, are they're beautiful dynamite. god they got wet today and they look so good i was yeah. like man those look like dark those look like geese um they all they all they look like geese always but when a lot of times when you get that sheen on a decoy you're like oh gosh but they look good today um that's another thing about goose hunting is that there's so many elements that go into what the geese see with uv and cloud cover and low ceiling high ceiling bluebird um the paint scheme on a decoy and how the sun hits it how the rays are hitting it how the moisture hits it how the flocking's acting all of that stuff goes into where the angle of the sun the lighting the height of the sun people are freaking shadows out, free, yeah shadows and people are freaking out early in the morning like we need to change the decoys no let it take place let the hunt mature a little bit and see what they do don't get in such don't get nervous birds especially waterfowl they can sense when a man is nervous or a woman is nervous i truly believe this if you hunt nervous and you don't believe in your calling or your shooting or your dog work or your decoy spread and you're always questioning yourself which hunters do a lot the birds pick up on it animals have a sixth sense there's no doubt 100 percent they do especially canada geese Canada geese and mallard ducks, which are two absolute hardest, most difficult waterfowl to hunt and be consistent at. And they're the smartest waterfowl there is. That's another opinion, but it's the facts by Chad Belden. <laughs> Canada geese <laughs> and mallard ducks. Hey, Jack, come here. The only opinion Why that's Jack's factual. coming out here, this episode of the Fowl Life Podcast again, Joel, is brought to you by Bush Latte. Jack. What's up? This is an opinion, but it's the facts. You follow? Yep, I follow. Mallard ducks and Canada geese are the smartest animals in the world. Opinion. Facts. Name one that's even close. Cheetah? No. Not even close, dude. They poop in their hand and throw it at people. Monkeys are way smarter. Monkeys are not smart. They're are basically you, humans. They wave at you when you're. They wave at you when you're. Not basically. They wave at you from a tree and get smoked on every river in Africa. They're up there waving at you. They're not smart. They're smart. No, mule deer. No, put him in the rut. He's done. Whitetail, done. Coyote, hit him. Call. Bum rush. They're great hunters. They're, they're savvy, but a goose and a duck that are born way up there and finish way down, way down past where we're at. 
You know how savvy you got to be? I think it is crazy how they'll, like, the banding or uh, they'll put GPS trackers on and a bird will They've summer. killed bands in Louisiana that were banded in Russia. Yeah, that's wild. And then... Um, you know how tough you got to be to fly across the ocean? I, it's crazy to me how they fly south and then fly back north to their breeding grounds, like the same pot of water. Genius. That is crazy. Imprinting. They're genius birds. You're never going to persuade me that there's a smarter animal. What would be smarter? Maybe a shark? Are, are you talking intellect or instinct? Because I always tell people, I, I, my Both. opinion is they're not the smartest animal, but they're incredibly instinctive. They're, how could they not be smart? Because they're, they're run by something they're not thinking about. They know when you could walk up and get a piece of bread from a human that's not going to hurt them. That is and true. And they know when to leave a decoy spread when there's a human that's going to hurt that them. That is true. That's smart. That is true. When I, I think, and no offense, I mean, I love duck hunting. None taken. It's just my opinion, hunting, which are but, the facts. But the goose, do you ever watch when they're coming in, every single one of those heads is going like this, back and forth, oh, yeah. back and they're forth, just, back and forth. They're, they're looking, 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 for looking, the looking, 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 looking. They're looking for the All boogeyman. All they're doing is looking. They're conditioned they to do looking. that. And that is why people underestimate the importance of the hide. Now, you can trick them. You can get them to act dumb. But that's. But are you smart? You put Rebecca Clayfish in a bikini on a Lake Tahoe beach on a Saturday morning, and you're going to decoy to her like freaking flies on shit. Bam. <laughs> just like that. You follow me? You're hot, Rebecca. Good uh... at you. But you can't tell me that you're not smart. Well, you always say that you are. You're educated. You know this. You know that. You're always talking about how intellectual. You said you had an IQ of 164. Yes. Geese are sm- Geese. You did say that, that you had an IQ of 164. And? Is it true? I got a 32 on my ACT. Yeah, out of 60. No. Back in the back in the no, back in the 60s. It's not out of 60. Back in the late 50s when you took the ACT, <laughs> there was 60 points possible. Oh, my God. Yeah, you are smart. But what I'm saying, though, is that you're smart, right? Did you make a smart decision today by having two chimichangas? We don't make a smart decision. We're enticed by influence. We're enticed by addiction. We're still smart. So geese mess up. Ducks mess up. You put a spinning wing in a dry cornfield. Ducks look like they've never had a brain in their life. And they do have a small brain. But to be able to live that life they live and survive. Or a snow goose. It's a goose. Just the way they live. There's 21-year-old Canada geese on record. To fly up and down that That's migratory crazy, route. Survive airplanes, Captain Soli. And to survive decoy spreads, Joel Cleefish. And to survive wind and weather, meteorologist. There's all types of conditions that can mess up a goose or a duck's life. Then, then nesting conditions. And then and then raising their broods. I mean, there's so much that goes that people say they're not smart. Dude, are you kidding me? They're pretty freaking smart. Canada goose is definitely the most difficult animal to kill consistently. Are they smarter than a lab, a black lab? Because they're the smartest labs. That's an opinion, but that's a fact. Jack, yeah. black lab, smartest dog in the world. German Shepherd's pretty smart. I was going to say German Shepherd. I thought poodles were. Poodles are smart, dogs. but not none of them. It's on record by CB. You can look it up in the encyclopedia, the CB encyclopedia. Black labs are the smartest dogs in the world. 
smarter than the wolf the africa the, the wild dog of africa which did you did you know that the wild dog of africa has the highest success rate in kills i did not Every time they go out, they kill 96 to 97% of the time. They're the highest success rate of predators. Coyotes are like fifth. Piranhas are up there somewhere in the top 10. But the wild dog of Africa kills almost 100% of the time they hunt. Think about that. That's pretty savvy. But the black lab is the smartest dog in the world. Hey, Jack, we got a visitor. Will you cut them off so they don't come in here and and, uh, come in here throwing bombs? Um, I think it's Nick. But... Okay, I'm, you know, I'm just messing around about the facts, and the, and, but it is the fact, and it is my opinion, that a black lab is the smartest dog in the world, and a duck and a goose are probably some of the smartest animals in the world. I think a goose is smarter than a duck. I would agree with that. Ducks are sometimes harder to kill. Who is it, Jack? Um, hey, Jack! Yeah. Who is it? Who? Is it Nick? Is it Matt? It's Matt Williams. There's no way that's Matt. Oh my, Matt, get in here on the microphone. We got to have Matt. Go ahead and hold that microphone over there. This is Matt Williams, aka Stealth. Go ahead and sit down over there, Matt. This is the reason we're up here in New York. This dude is an absolute killer. I've, you know, Joel Clayfish does not hand out compliments. He really doesn't. Like I've cooked my ass off for this man in his oh, kitchen. You don't. He's never been like, God, Chad, you're good at this. Today, he would not get off your swing set about how good of a shot you are. He's like, Chad, it was like being behind John Wayne, had sex with Annie Oakley, and they had a kid named Maddie Williams. Every time he pointed his pistola at these geese, they just, every, he goes, I didn't even get the trigger. He didn't even, Joel's like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even hunt. I was so intimidated by this guy's marksmanship. Hey, where did you practice? Where did you practice at, Matt? Are you trained? I'm not trained. It's as simple as killers kill. (laughs) (laughs) Joel really was, though. He was bragging on your shooting today. Well, thank you, Joel. Because I wasn't shooting much because I had that dog that I was really concerned about because I don't know what's going on, Duff. It's my fault, but he's never done that. He's never broke like that. So I was trying to watch that. And then, uh, oh, listen, listen, go ahead. Did you hear that? That's a bush light. <laughs> Another episode of the Fat Life Podcast brought to you by Bush Light, Bush Latte. Straight out of the Anheuser-Busch family of brands. The can says it all. The mountains, the back roads. You could be up here in upstate New York. You could be down by Wichita, Kansas. You could be chasing the migration wherever you're at. And Bush and Bush Light and the Bush NA that my boy Joel Cleefish loves to drink. The non-alcoholic. Um, they support hunters and fishers and gatherers and providers. The mentality, the ideology of living off the land. So that what you just heard was the opening of of a cold bush light after a successful goose hunt in new york of all places when i drove by that sign today and saw that i'm like we're in new york if you'd have said to me three years ago hey joel you're gonna be hunting in new york i never would have believed for a minute it's kind of cool it's unbelievable and if you don't if you think of new york as new york city the big apple i mean that's cool that's got amazing things no doubt but if you don't know upstate new york i cannot believe the Canada goose population here. Oh it's my God. unbelievable. These we went migrators. to bed last night and we were here in honking just outside. It's fantastic. And the, the people here are fantastic and kind and funny. I mean, my gut is sore from laughing just oh, for yeah, the last day and a half. Today. Hey, real quick while we got Matt. Um, so you're not trained in shotgunning. 
I thought you were. You handled it pretty good. <laughs> Benelli, obviously. Well, thank um, you, Chad. You are good. And I, I sent that picture around to a bunch of people of you and Joel and I, and they did vote you number two best looking. And obviously, I was number one. I don't believe it for a second. Really? <laughs> um, where, where Joel and I were talking about this last night. What is the five fingers? Where are we in, in, in conjunction to the five fingers area of New York? Okay, so... That's a Finger Lakes region. They're Finger talking. Lakes. I'm sorry, not five fingers. Fingers so like yeah. Finger Lakes. But if you look on a map, it looks just like a handprint. Five so fingers. Yeah. Okay. Why you're saying that? Um. So that's where I'm from. <laughs> I'm just north of that. We're about three hours north of there. So like, or if two, we went if down, you get on the eastern part. So we went back down to Syracuse. Yeah. You go straight just south east. Of you. Oh, just they're south, south of, Syracuse. of you. They're west of you. There's, so. So when we caught the buffalo, were we closer to the 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 Finger Lakes? Syracuse would be closer. Syracuse would yep. be closer. Yep. So, what is a molt migrator? Because you hear the word molt thrown around a lot when it comes to waterfowling, right? Yep. This is my rendition of a molt migrator. Not rendition, because then I would act like a goose. <laughs> um, you have them up in Canada. You have them up north of us, right? They might be the east of us a little bit or the west of us. Yep. And they they leave that area to go to another area to get their all of their final feathers and their flight feathers and their headgear and all of that before they continue the migration south. Is that a molt migration of they're leaving an area where they were born or raised to go to an area that they're used to or introduced to a long time ago or imprinted on that they're familiar with and that's where they molt at? Yeah, from my understanding, that's pretty accurate. Do we they're, need Nick to talk about the molt migration? Probably. From what I've always understood, it's the younger or the older, the non-breeding <sighs> birds. So, I'm local here. The birds I still see in May, you know, out of nowhere, you're driving down the road. There's 500 Canada's around that are not your resident goose population. Not your And this is in May when these birds should be on nests or, you know, the first batch of geese is coming quickly. They're your non-breeders. Makes total sense. The yeah. molt migration is, is a neat deal because you don't, you just, I got, I got to figure out like, why don't they just call it the migration? That's the tricky part of the molt migration, right? That's what that's what I'm trying to study, and I, I have a pretty good idea of it. I think that it's right that they're 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 going to a spot that they're comfortable getting ready for the rest of their migration. I, I think that's it. I mean, I don't know what else it would be, Jack. You're a brainiac. Come here real quick. Oh, by the way, this is Jack Orlandi. You met him today. This right here is what I thought Nick McNamara would look like after all the phone calls. <laughs> because i never googled matt nick and when he walked in yesterday i'm like holy shit it's kenny powers kenny I'm like, holy powers shit. that's the best thing i've ever heard he's like he's like i don't work out that shit's heavy like nick is kenny powers right i loved it he's got like the like this kid's mullet going on a little bit he's freaking just i thought for sure that nick mcnamara would be built like jack Rolandi. like i thought he was going to be like this like this dude that looked like this right here He's just had that voice and he's he and then he's like all intellectual and well spoken. I'm not saying that he's not, but then he walks in here like a like meatloaf yesterday. You know the the album uh Bad Out of Hell? That is freaking Nick McNamara's meatloaf. He's the meatloaf of goose hunting. Yeah, he's a bull in the China Dude, shop. I love him. He's Nick freaking awesome. awesome. But anyway, um, do you know what the molt migration is? Did you Google it when we were talking about it? No. I thought that was your key to Google it. See, I need to get a fact checker on the podcast. You need to get Nick in here too. Where His is knowledge Nick? is absolutely unbelievable. I don't know if he likes us. He hasn't hung out with us one time. 
He's just busy, man. Keeping the wheels on the wagon, as he says. Joel, you said it earlier today that you don't like Nick and that you don't think he likes us. <laughs> well, no one really likes Nick. No one really likes him, but he's got great goose hunting ground. <laughs> he does. <laughs> That's why he has just friends. Kidding. We love you, Nick. I do love Nick. So you, the reason we're here is because we met you last year at Tony Vandemore's Habitat Flats and the McCauley Brothers and all that down there at the main lodge. Yep, at um, Thanksgiving dinner together. God, that was a great night. <laughs> that was a great night. Yeah. So this is what I always thought it was, is that they get to a familiar spot that's geographically either familiar or safe to them. So those geese must come over the St. Lawrence River or whatever out of, where would that be, Montreal? Would that, would that be Quebec? Is where I'm trying to figure out. Why. None of us are very sharp right now. We're tired. <laughs> On, Just over, over Ontario. Older Ontario. Okay, so is that where they would come from? From Ontario. Montreal's eastern part of, Montreal's e part of Ontario. yeah so eastern eastern okay so okay so i know right where we're at no montreal's quebec yeah that's correct yeah i'm pretty sure yeah. god dang it joel i need some sleep but i'm not going to get any having too much fun but i think that they come here to get ready to go the rest of the way they're familiar with the spot so they stop here to get those feathers to continue south that's all i can think of why else would it be called a molt migration well, it makes sense. It makes sense. So the, the molt migration is the first portion of the migration. After they grow their final feathers, then they're, then they're migrators. But, okay, so then when they leave the breeding grounds in the tundra up north, northern Canada, and they come over the forest, the boreal forest, and they see the bush, and then they get past that, right? Then you got the first stops in Saskatchewan, Alberta, Manitoba up here. It's not considered molt migration, is it? Are they leaving the breeding grounds and they're coming over that? Or is that just the beginning of the migration? Or are they coming to that upper, that that first part of agriculture in Canada, okay, which is up there before the bush starts, the forest starts. You guys kind of understand what I'm saying? Yeah. That like, that's where like the, the peas start and all of the different vegetation starts and the cropland starts. I just always thought of that as the migration. That well, they it's leave all the part of the grand migration. It's all part of the migration. But why are they called molt migrators? Because they're heading to where they molt. Because it's in September? I've never been to South Dakota and had somebody go, we're hunting molt migrators today. It's only said in this part of the country. That's my point, is that when you talk to Nick McNamara, he's like, we're hunting molt migrators. We're not hunting migrators. That we're hunting molt migrators. That term's used a lot in Wisconsin. Is it? I never yes. heard it once when we were there. But I was there late. I was you there were, in November. You were, yeah, you were there in November. Late. We that term is used a lot in Wisconsin, molt migration or for early season migrators, the migrators that start halfway through the early the early goose. Why did you come over here just now? Were you coming because you were curious of what we were doing? No, or we you wanted to hang out. We were coming over to pick you up, and we we're going to bring you scouting and show you what could be the possible feed for tomorrow. But I'm so scared that it's going to rain too hard. It is going to rain. We're going to get wet. Are we going to hunt no matter what? We can do whatever you want to do, Chad. I'm going to hunt, but I just can't film. Well, I don't film. Jack. I can't film in the rain. It's, it, it's the, the, he uses Aquanet. And okay. if it gets wet in the rain, then his hair goes to shit. My, my iPhone's pretty much waterproof. I, I think that we can just go out and get maybe social content tomorrow. Cause we're not really going to save a field for the next day. Are we, or do we want to do that? I'm not too sure. Nick's the man to talk to on that. He keeps the wheels on the wagon. 
Kenny Powers, you mean? From Kenny now on, Powers. Oh my Kenny God. Powers. <laughs> well, greatest show ever. Uh, that show was you, Eastbound and Down was freaking hilarious, dude. Was it called Eastbound that. and Down? Eastbound and Down. God, I love that freaking <laughs> show, dude. Inspirational speeches. He'd listen to his own inspirational speeches in his in his car. He'd put his tapes in and listen to himself motivate himself. Are my talk? Do you guys watch it? You yes, never, I've watched oh, Kenny Powers. Oh, God, come on, let's be show. real. Every episode, I'd like to drink a beer with the guys that wrote that. Oh yeah, hundred percent. What's going on? Yeah, this new one that was on like two, three years ago. The one where he was the church guy. They had the private jet. You guys got to see that. What's I, it? Yeah, Jack, I don't think Google I've seen Kenny, that. Uh, I saw that. The, the jewel. Oh. Yeah, family jewel. No, uh, can't Jack. Will you Google? Um, what's his name? He's in all those Seth Rogen movies. Yeah, Danny McBride. What's his his newest show on HBO about um about uh religion? The Righteous Gemstones? Yeah. That's it. Have you seen that? No, I've never uh, heard Google of it. the name of the Jets, please. The Jets. The, the, the private jets they own. I'll be right back, Joel. Keep Ooh. talking. <laughs> <laughs> Jets taking a break. But yeah, we're we're in New York right now, uh upstate. We had absolutely heck of a hunt and we were talking about kind of the differences between wisconsin hunting and the early season the success we've had but we bounced around the locals a little bit and then we started seeing some of the migrators coming in but in wisconsin we're we're not seeing the flock size that we see here and the only thing i can think of that's the difference you know we've got the mississippi valley on one side and lake michigan on the other side but we don't see the amount of flocks and the the amount of birds in the flocks that finish the same way they do out here is it because they're just not seeing as many hunters on the way to here as they are in the midwest i mean do we have that much busier of a of a hunting public there no i don't i don't think it's pressure related um one thing unique to this area is it is kind of a pinch point here as far as migration goes in terms of how many birds pinch point because the ocean yeah because of geography you get you get one way or another you've got big water or you've got pretty much the mountains so is there a lot of pressure in this area there is a there is a lot of there's a there's an absolute pile of pressure in this area but where Nick does so well is he's been here so long, been doing this so does long. Does he bring the landowners wild goose turkey? Oh, or tons of so he's pies. got tons of Amish guys. He brings those guys a pile of goose meat. I mean, Nick takes care of his guys. There's no doubt about that. But he's been around so long. He knows everyone so well. He's he's made sure to have his ground locked down, and he's definitely put a footprint in this area. Dude, it's so awesome. The freaking hunt today was so badass. No, he's hey, pretty- was it called the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Three Jets? Yeah. God dang it! Remember the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They each had their own private jet. That freaking show is crazy. But anyway, um, do you know what we had for lunch today? What did you have for lunch? Canada Goose pulled Canada Goose chimichangas made by yours truly with eggs. They were breakfast chimichangas with eggs, pulled Canada Goose, and Wisconsin cheese. Uh, curds that he brought from Wisconsin that his wife bought for me because she loves me. Man, that's funny. I must not have had service or something. Well, we I sent, left we over sent gas station. A guy pizza. came by on a pony and he said he was going <laughs> to deliver the mail over there. <laughs> I'll make you one right now. No, incredible. I'm, I'm sure it is incredible. Jack ate three. Look at him. Yeah, dang Jack. That's really what I thought. 
Nick was going to look like. All right, well, we're going to end this. So the theory, of the, the theme of this episode was how good the Wisconsin goose has started off for you guys because you, it's hot temperatures. Um, it's not a ton of geese down there. It's a lot of the, a lot of the locals. Um, but y'all have been having consistent success. And the thing that I wanted to bring up again, before we say, Vio con Dios, good luck. Wish you well. Remember that George Strait song? Vio con Dios, good luck. Yes, Wish I do. you well. Come Vio on. Vio con Dios. Yeah, go with God. Yeah, go with go God. Go with God. That's one of the greatest George Strait That's songs That's one ever. of the greatest ways to say goodbye to somebody. Vio con Dios. Vio con Dios. Go with God. And it sounds so I love good. It. Vio con Dios. Yeah. That's the Italian that version like of the Italian. Spanish. <laughs> that was an Italian but you guys will set up, on Spanish. Nick, they will set up on 40 geese. 20. 20 geese sometimes. Because, and this is a cool thing that Joel brought up, and we're going to end today's episode of this. Brought to you again by Bushlight. God, this stuff's good. Um, the quintessential of hope. Of hope. Just hope. That's it. That's all you're doing going out there for is hoping that you get a chance to see Canada geese or canvas backs or mallard ducks or teal in their glory, in their magnificent glory. Like when they do it right, like they did today, we watched some of the footage. You want to see one of the ghosts? Come here look at this. Um, but Jack has footage. I was communicating with Jack. You heard me like, get them up top. They're up top. They're yeah. And he was, he got so many cool maple leafing, but check this out. What are we waiting for? For Kenny Powers <laughs> to call the shot. See them all get wiped oh, out. Yeah, that's kill awesome. like 13 of them. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. It's Love beautiful. It. Anyway, it's been a good start to the season, Joel. Heck, yeah. The the pulled goose chimichangas were amazing. You guys just oh, heard an man. episode of the Fat Life podcast that we brought to you live from New York up here. Brought to you by the provider, theproviderlife.com, the dry rubs, the cookbooks. We talked about that chimichanga recipe and how unorthodox Joel is and how when we walked in the house, he changed his idea of just a breakfast burrito to a, a skillet flash fried chimichanga that was absolutely delicious in that Napa Valley olive oil. Those Wisconsin cheese curds. Thank you, Rebecca Clayfish. You should be the next governor of Wisconsin. I promise you that. And Ted Nugent agrees. Had that Canada goose meat in it from New York and it had farm fresh eggs. And then we had a little bit of sour cream or la crema to put on it after and a little bit of salsa. They were absolutely amazing. This podcast has been fun. Thank you, Joel, for being here. We're going to be podcasting all throughout the next seven days up here in New York before we head back down to Syracuse to hang out with my boys, Tom and Chris. That's a big announcement coming up that you'll be here in January 1st, 2023. And then we are headed to Harlem to film with my boys. I don't even know if I should say their names, but it's the Hodge brothers, Jim, um, 9-11 firefighters. We're going to talk about what they experienced on that day in 2001. They were 21 years old, first day on the job. Think about that. Wow. 21 years old, first day on the job. Those planes go into those towers and nothing was ever the same. 
and they're going to be hunting with us starting Tuesday. And then we're going to go down to Harlem. We're going to film at their firehouse. And then we're going to spend some time in New York City. And then we're going to head west for Kid Rock and my birthday concert. Can't wait to see Mr. Bobby Ritchie throw down. And then we're headed to California for Safari Club International Hunt with the president and CEO, Laird Hamberlin, my boy Rocky Merlo. We have some uh, guests that are going to be out there with us in the way of music. Thank you all for being here for another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Thank you, Bush Light. Thank you, Flask Cap. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Here goes another bush light. God, that sound is cool. That's cool. He was drinking a beer the other night where when you do that, it drops nitrogen into it to make it bubbly. Is that what it's come to? You can't just drink a beer. You can't just drink a beer anymore. You got it. Really? I sound like drink. My brother loves those black and tan things. I'm not a beer drinker. I'm not. I love bush light. Like people are like, you need to try this IPA. And I'm like, I don't want to try no IPA. What is IPA? International Pale Ale. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I thought no, that, really they were oh IPAs were invented so that they could last long journeys across the sea without going bad. What do you do? Spoiling. Watch National Geographic every night. Big brain. Big brain. Big brain on Ted. <laughs> All right. This is what's that? So he's been reading those encyclopedias over there. Yeah. Chad Belding's facts and opinions. Right, Joel? Yes, sir. It's an opinion, but it's the fact. Well, agreed. That's the name of your next book. Today's episode of the Fally Podcast was also brought to you again by Dickie's Dickie's Workwear. Do you know where you work? Dickie's Workwear is spelled W-E-A-R, but this is Dickie's Workwear, W-H-E-R-E. We are put on earth to work. I hope you have a good work ethic. I hope you're providing for your friends and family. Stay safe out there. And if you do enjoy a nice cold bush light, enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. I'm Chad Belling, Joel Clayfish, Matt Williams. Another episode of the Fally Podcast. This is 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life.